Now, our Bible reading this evening is taken from Daniel chapter 2. And I'm going to read together with you the first 23 verses. Of course, the reading will appear on the screen. But if you have your own Bible, we would recommend that you follow that as well. Now, let us hear the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream. And we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, Tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, 
and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now this evening, I'm continuing with a series of expository sermons on the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, of course, is a very thrilling book in the Holy Scriptures and provides a fascinating insight into the fact that the living and the true God is in absolute control of this world and its affairs. Daniel, of course, is indeed a wonderful book of history and prophecy, a book that especially deals with the end times. And of course, in this very book, the Lord is pleased to give his children a thrilling view of the last chapter of this world's history. It's a sort of a kind of preview of the day when Jesus Christ comes and is seen then, literally, to take dominion of the nations of the world and to set up his everlasting kingdom. Now, in past weeks, I've sent before you an introduction to the book of Daniel, focusing primarily on Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And I've sought to show you then the authenticity of Daniel in Babylon. Remember, he was a real, true historical person who lived in real time about 605, 606 BC, when as a teenager he's taken captive to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And do remember, of course, that the Lord Jesus believed in and testified about Daniel the prophet. Two references come to mind, Matthew 24, 15 and Mark 13, verse 14. And these are important references. Why? Because they help set the seal and stamp of the authenticity regarding Daniel the prophet and his prophecy. I also spoke of his appearance in Daniel and and of course, there's a time reference. It was in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah. We closed then that first message thinking of the acceptance of Daniel in Babylon. He accepted that the Lord himself had given Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And in those days and in those difficult times, he kept in his mind, that was Daniel, that God was sovereign, 
that God was in charge and in control of all events, especially the events of world history. And Daniel, of course, learned to trust the Lord even in the dark, difficult situations of his own life. And then some five or six weeks ago, I preached a second sermon, and it was entitled, How to Live for God in an Ungodly World. And I would urge you to re-listen again to that message or listen to it for the first time if you haven't done so. Let me just mention the outline on that occasion. We thought about the perils that he faced. And you can read about those in chapter 1, verses 3, right down to verse 19 or 20. We thought about the proposal that he made because it says in verse 8, but Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And we closed with thinking of the position that he got. Listen to the words at the end of verse 18. It says there in Daniel chapter 1, Verse 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Now tonight I want to introduce you to a third message on this series of expository sermons regarding Daniel. And my text is found in Daniel chapter 2, verses 16 through to 18. It says in chapter 2, verse 16, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And my theme tonight is this, how a man of God copes with a crisis. I'm well aware that Daniel 2 is quite a lengthy chapter. There's 49 verses in the chapter, and I'm only dealing really with the first section. And I want to make this very practical tonight. We're thinking of this text of Scripture based in this theme, how a man of God or a child of God copes with a crisis in his or her life. So here's instruction following on from how to live in an ungodly world, how to cope with a crisis. And I have three things that came to me as I thought of this uh, practical subject tonight. I want you to think, first of all, of the background to the crisis. And you can read about the background there in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 right through to 13. You see, every crisis, every situation in life that arises has a background, has a cause. And we're told that in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a dream or a vision. And of course, one of the ways that the Lord gave special revelation in old time before the Bible was completed was by a vision or by dreams. 
And I want you to understand that these dreams that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt, the Lord gave him these dreams. And at the heart of the dream was a revelation of the rise and fall of four great world empires, one of which was his own, the emperor of Babylon. And then he showed him a fifth kingdom, a stone that came out of heaven and smashed the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw on its feet, and that stone became a great mountain. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar awoke from his dream, he couldn't understand this vision. He didn't know what the dream meant. Of course, it had a profound impact upon him. It was deeply impressed upon his mind. The Bible tells us that his spirit was troubled, that his sleep was broken. So what he did was he called for all his wise men to come, his astrologers, his um, wise men, his magicians, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, it says in verse 2, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar deliberately withheld from them what the dream or the vision was. I believe he could remember the details. I could believe he was thinking of that image, the head of gold, the arms and belly of silver, the, the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, the feet of part iron and clay, the stone that came out of heaven and destroyed the image at his feet. But he didn't tell them what he had seen in the vision. He wanted them to tell him. Now, it's important, I believe, you grasp that he didn't tell them his dream. He asked them what the dream was and what it meant. He didn't say to them, well, look, I've had a dream, but I haven't the foggiest idea what the dream was. And um, you tell me the dream and tell me what it meant. No, I believe Nebuchadnezzar had a very clear strategy he wasn't a fool. He knew his wise men, his astrologers, his magicians, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, were a bunch of deceivers, a bunch of liars. And he knew that they could easily make something up. They could tell him, you've dreamed this or that. They could give him a false explanation as to its meaning, and that would be the end of the matter, and nobody would be none the wiser. Remember what he says to them in verse 9? But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. And I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. He did know the details. So he asked them, you tell me the dream that I have dreamed. That's what he first commanded of them. And then I want you to explain the meaning to me. Of course, they had no idea. They were on the horns of a big dilemma. Notice what he told them in chapter 2, verse 5. The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. In other words, you're going to be killed. You're going to be put to death. 
I believe he meant every word. I believe Nebuchadnezzar was a totalitarian ruler. He could snap his fingers on one word and you would be gone. Now this included Daniel and his three friends. Is not what we read in verse 18 that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Remember, they stood before the king. They stood with the wise men, the astrologers. And of course, at the start, these wise men and astrologers protested. They kept asking the king, tell us the dream and we'll give the interpretation. He wouldn't do that. They argued with him. Uh, listen to what they said to him in verse 10. There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that ask any things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. Verse 11. And that is a rare thing that the king requires. There's none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. We read, of course, in verse 12, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was given. His captain had his orders, slay all the wise men of Babylon. Now it appears that in Providence, Daniel was not with them. Now remember, his life is in danger. This is really the first real threat to his life and the life of his three friends in the book of Daniel. I believe that Arioch, the captain of the guard, and the guards were actively seeking Daniel. And we read, of course, that Daniel sought out Arioch. That, that is, he, he, he returned to him. He, he, he came to where he was. And, and he asked, well, why has this decree been made so hastily? It says in verse 15, Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Not one man upon the earth can show the king this dream. It wasn't right or fair of asking the king to uh, ask such a thing of us. None except the gods whose dwelling is not in flesh. Of course, the false gods of Babylon are being referenced could show this. So here's Daniel facing a grave crisis. And the crisis is that his life and the life of his three friends is in danger. And this is a personal crisis. I believe that. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. The Bible singles that out. This is a political crisis. It involved the king, the king's decree. Remember, these men are advisors in state, like the king's counselors. This is a national crisis. It impacted on the life and witness of the whole kingdom of Babylon. This was a serious crisis because it was a matter of life and death for many. Maybe you're listening to me tonight and you're facing a grave crisis in your life right now. Maybe it's a personal crisis. Maybe you've personally got some bad news of late. Maybe it's about your own health or the health of a loved one. Maybe it's about the loss of a job. Maybe it's about the death of a family member. Maybe you have a friend that's seriously ill in the hospital. And your mind is heavy. And you're facing a very extreme situation right now. And of course, we have to think of the political, national, economic crisis that's impacting our wee province. We're facing a crisis with this coronavirus. And I want to say tonight, I believe this coronavirus is a sign of God's displeasure. 
I want you to think of things that are happening in the earth, whether they be famines, earthquakes, tsunamis, pestilence, or wars. Doesn't the Bible say, prepare to meet thy God? And the context of Amos 4 and 12 is that God is coming to meet you in judgment. And I believe that in all of these things, the famine, the earthquake, the tsunamis, the pestilence, the wars, that God is speaking in all of this. I find a very interesting reference in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20, we read, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold and silver, and brass and stone, and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorcerers, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. You see, when the sixth angel sounded his trumpet prior to the return of Jesus Christ and the trumpet blast heralded the arrival of plagues and pestilence upon the earth and many were dying, men repented not. And the Lord lamented. Even in the days of Amos, when they were facing a real serious situation, The men hadn't returned to the Lord. They hadn't repented of their sin and got right with God. And isn't it amazing today that even though we face a grave crisis, face an economic depression, never mind a recession, tens of thousands of men and women, our fellow countrymen, instead of turning to the Lord and falling on their face and crying out for mercy, are turning their back on God. They're saying in their hearts and minds, There is no God. Or saying in an attitude of rebellion, no to God. These are days of grave apostasy. Days of immorality. Days of iniquity. And what do we do in such days? When we face such a crisis, whether it's personal or political or national or or serious. Well, I believe that Daniel too holds the answer. Once we understand the background to the crisis that Daniel and the life of his three friends was in personal danger, then we discover here's one of the most important chapters in the whole of the Bible. Because this chapter contains a complete outline of world's history from the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, right up to the second coming of Jesus Christ in power and glory to set up his kingdom. It's all here And that's why we're going to study this chapter. But but before we do that, I want us to think of this practical lesson that's here. What do you do when you face a crisis? Here's a man of God. Here's a child of God. And this is the background to the crisis. Their life's in danger. And what do they do in that extreme situation? Well, I want you to think secondly with me of the behavior in the crisis. If you go back to our text, Daniel chapter 2, 16, 17, and 18, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, and that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
And if I understand this behavior correctly, Daniel did seven important things. Seven, of course, is the number of perfection. I want you to think of the first thing. The craving that Daniel displayed. What did Daniel crave? Well, the answer is in the verse 18. He craved mercies from God. It's not what verse 18 says, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven. The first thing he did when he heard from Arioch, discovered the danger that he his three friends faced, he went home and told up his friends, and they made up their mind that they were going to go to God, and they were going to pray about the situation. And what did they desire? They desired mercies from the God of heaven. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Notice the words, then, and the word then in the Hebrews, hotan, at that exact time, and it's mentioned in verse 16, it's mentioned in verse 17, it's mentioned twice in verse 19. And at that exact time when Daniel learned about this crisis, this threat on his life and his three friends, they took the matter before the Lord. They spread it before him. They told him all about it. In other words, they took their grave problem to a great person, the God of heaven. That word desire, of course, is very strong in the Hebrew. It speaks of their inner and their mental craving. In other words, their heart and mind was overcome. We stand in one need tonight, and that is mercies from the God of heaven. Not just mercy, but mercies from the God of heaven. So here's the first thing that Daniel did in every crisis of his long life. In this first real threat to his life, Daniel prayed about it. Daniel was indeed a man of prayer. And I want to tell you that every time in Daniel's life, when his life was in danger, in every crisis that he faced, he prayed about it. The craving he displayed. I can say tonight, there's mercy with the Lord. And if you're facing a crisis, then I urge you to pray about it. And as you pray, I want you to crave mercy from the Lord. You could say tonight in prayer, Lord, be merciful to me. Remember the psalmist prayed, Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God. He was in a backslidden state for 11 months. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Lord, in the basis of mercy, deal with my sin. And of course, that's a great lesson to learn. The craving that he displayed. I want you to think, secondly, of the continuation he displayed. Because if you go back even to our text, it says in verse 18 that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven. And in the context here, in the literal rending in the Hebrew, they would desire mercies from before God. They were before God. In other words, they continued meaningfully in an attitude of prayer before God. They not only prayed individually, but they prayed together. Daniel had made up his mind 
There was a mental choice here, and the choice was to pray continually before the Lord. And of course, this was a habit of his life. This was not just something that Daniel prayed about and offered an emergency prayer and went and did something else. No, he prayed continually. He prayed on through. He, he prayed until he got the answer. They continued in prayer. And they all collectively prayed. They prayed together in the house. Remember, he shared this with his few friends. And what did they do? They held a united prayer meeting. This got beyond private prayer. This was a public prayer meeting. Matthew, of course, 6 and 6 is true to Regard private prayer, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But also we read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, and in the verse 5, a tremendous statement. Remember, here's another crisis. Peter's in prison. His life is about to be taken from him. And we read, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. There was a prayer meeting for Peter. And Daniel and his three friends prayed on into the night. Isn't that what verse 19 says? Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. They gave up sleep. They fasted. They prayed. They abstained from legitimate food and they kept on praying till the answer came and doesn't the bible tell us in colossians 4 and 2 to continue in prayer so here's the second thing daniel did he not only the craving he displayed but the continuation he displayed i want you to think thirdly of the creditation he displayed if you think of the words in verse 18 that they would desire mercies of the god of heaven Concerning this secret. The God of heaven. In verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then at that moment Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What does that mean? It means that he gave thanks. And of course in verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He says in verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O God, God of my fathers. You see, what did Daniel do? Here's the creditation he displayed. He took no credit for praying or continuing in prayer until he got the answer. He didn't take any glory for himself. He gave thanks to the Lord. He gave God all the glory. Daniel, I believe, was clothed with a true humility. We're given here an inside view into his heart and mind. What Daniel was privately, he was publicly. What Daniel was publicly, he was privately. He kept in his mind the God of heaven. His mind was filled with the God in heaven. He remembered that he was but a sinner on earth. And he thought about the God of heaven who controlled time, who controlled world affairs, who was in control of history. And he knew that only God himself could give the answer. Only God could reveal the dream and the interpretation of the dream. 
Daniel had nothing to be proud about. He wasn't proud of the fact that he was in a right relationship with God. He wasn't proud of his Jewish race or heritage. He, he wasn't even proud of his young face, even though he was a young man. He, he gloried that the Lord had done this. In other words, the Lord got all the glory. And that's what Daniel 2 verse 20 right through to 23 is all about. That's what Daniel is doing. And he's doing it after he got the answer from the Lord. I want you to think also of the courage that he displayed. Here's the fourth thing. It says, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time. Now I want you to think tonight of the court of Nebuchadnezzar. He was an absolute powerful monarch. At the snap of his finger, you'd be taken away and you'd never be seen again. And if he was in a bad mood, you just couldn't barge into Nebuchadnezzar. He might have been eating, he might have been bathing, he might have been dealing with the affairs of state. You needed to be invited in. You needed to be requested. And if you come in slovenly dressed, if you come in with the wrong type of speech, if you come in maybe looking a bit disheveled, he didn't like you, then remember his decree was final. He gave this law, the wise men of Babylon's to be cut into pieces. This was real. They had already asked for time, and he didn't grant it. And now Daniel's in before him, and he asked for time. Let me ask this. Would you do what Daniel did? How did Daniel do this? Did he do it in his own strength or power? I don't believe so. I believe he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 11 and verse um, 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And over there in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we read this tremendous statement again about the power of the Holy Spirit. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Joshua, remember, was told by God three times to be strong and of a good courage. Why? Because he was full of fear. He was full of apprehension. Moses was dead. How could I lead the children of Israel? And I'm not able and I, and I can't do it in my own strength or power. But here's the courage that Daniel displayed. He went in and asked for more time, even though it was denied to the other wise men. And you know what? His request was granted. I want you to think also of the confidence he displayed. If you come down to chapter 2 and verse 28, he said, But there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dreams and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. See, he said to Arioch, Don't destroy the wise men. Tell the king to put a halt to his decree. Bring me in and I will show the king the interpretation. Notice what he said in verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation thereof. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, Listen to these words. The secret which the king hath demanded Cannot the wise men, the astrologers, 
the magicians and soothsayers show unto the king. But there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Isn't that tremendous? See, Daniel didn't panic. Daniel showed great patience. And Daniel stood before the king and said to the king, but there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And I want to say tonight, if you're in any trouble, have confidence in the God of heaven. Don't make haste in your trouble. Don't do anything hasty. Don't make any rash decisions or vows, even if you've lost a family member, even you're in pain, physical pain in your body, even there's been an accident or an incident in your life or in the life of your family, then you remember there's a God in heaven. Daniel, you see, kept pointing to the Lord. It's as if Daniel went in with a big sign, but there's a God in heaven. You see, it was about seeking the Lord. It was about trusting in him. Here's the craving he displayed. Here's the continuation he displayed, the creditation he displayed, the courage he displayed, the confidence he displayed. He was not cocky. He was not boasting. He was not showing off. He had quiet confidence and in strength of the Lord. But notice also the conviction he discussed. He revealed secrets. And Daniel, of course, went on to say to Nebuchadnezzar in another chapter, in chapter 4 and verse 17, he said this, and I think this is tremendous. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And setteth up over it the basis of man. See, Daniel's eyes wasn't on people. It wasn't on politicians. It wasn't even on the king who, who think that they rule the world. Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride. He had a haughty spirit. He was living independently of God. He, he, he had no fear of God. But Daniel wasn't in fear of this mere mortal king. Daniel was in fear of God. And how many tonight are living in fear even of this virus? A, a, an invisible killer virus. Sometimes we think about untimely deaths. Let's remember, and so it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. There's no accidents with God. God is absolutely sovereign. God is the day of our death appointed. God is a plan and purpose. And God's people, here's the conviction that he displayed. He believed that God reveals secrets and he believes the Most High rules and reigns in the kingdom of man. I want you to think of the contentment he displayed. Do you know that the king said in chapter 2, verse 6, but if you will show the dream and interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Daniel didn't want them. Even when, if you come to chapter 5 and look with me at verse 17, when Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, it says there in Daniel 5 and verse uh, 17, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation thereof. Daniel was full of godly contentment. The Bible says contentment with um, Great gain uh, is uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, we uh, read the scriptures in verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content with such things as you have. See, Daniel wasn't doing it for reward of man. You heard the story about John Wesley. And he started his ministry. He was getting 30 pounds. He spent 15. He gave 15 away. At the end of his ministry, he was receiving the great sum of 5,000 pounds. He spent 15, and he gave the rest away. He could say with Paul, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Many peoples have their hearts and minds and riches, but not in the God who reigns. And Daniel was filled with this thought. He reminded himself of the one who holds my breath. He talked about the God in whose hand thy breath is. We only live and breathe one breath at a time. And every breath that we breathe is in his hand. And our purpose in life is to glorify and enjoy him. And this is the behavior of Daniel in the crisis. These seven things. The mercy he displayed. The continuation he displayed. The creditation he displayed. The courage he displayed. The the confidence he displayed. The conviction he displayed. the, The contentment he displayed. It's all here. Bound up. Through this time of prayer. I want you to think in closing tonight. Of the blessing in the crisis. If you go back to our text. It says in verse 19, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He he says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. Daniel, I believe, had a real blessing in his soul. He's a saved young man. He's in a right relationship with God. He lives for God. And what does he say? Wisdom and might are his. You see, he knows that God reigns and rules in the affairs of men. He knows that God can give wisdom. The source of Daniel's wisdom, boys and girls, young people, didn't come from himself. It was a gift from God. It's not what we learned in chapter 1, verse 17. God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. I would say to you young people in your learning, don't leave the Lord out. And you're having a difficulty with a course or a subject. You pray and ask the Lord, help me. In Daniel 2, eight times, wise men are mentioned. Speaking of the wise men of Babylon. But Daniel stood head and shoulders above them all. Because the source of his wisdom wasn't worldly wisdom. It wasn't a worldview. The source of his wisdom was from the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, knew because it says in the Bible, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. You see, Daniel had a prudence that was from God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Do you fear the Lord? Are you saved tonight? Are you in a right relationship with him? Are you living for the Lord? Are you asking him for wisdom in every crisis, every situation? Wisdom's a divine gift. You face a situation you don't know what to do. Then you look to the Lord. Doesn't the Bible say if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which give it to all men liberally? You could be uneducated tonight. You could be educated. You could rest your poor. You could be a king in the throne, a pauper in the street. It doesn't matter. You can ask the Lord for wisdom. And you too, like Daniel, you can bless the God of heaven. 
And if you're able to bless the God of heaven, then you'll have a real blessing in your soul. And you can rejoice with a spirit of rejoicing that the Lord has gifted you the gift of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and might. It's a reference to power. They belong to the Lord. Here's how to cope in a crisis. Here's the man of God in a crisis. Here's the child of God in a crisis. And I say to you, let's discover what the crisis is. Let's behave in the same manner that Daniel did. Learn to, to take it to the Lord and, and to behave in this way and enjoy and experience this blessing in our soul. I commend this message to you tonight and trust and pray that the Lord will help you and give understanding in the things of God.